Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Welcome back to Core Truth. This is Mark Follett. I'm here with Rudy Eckhart again. We wanted to follow on with our discussion from our last episode about looking outward and that resulting in fear versus looking inward. But we didn't really talk about that alternative and what it means to be someone that gets their strength from within, gets their sense of self-worth from within. and Because I think that's so uncommon in our society that people probably can't even picture what that looks like or how that feels. A lot of people. That's absolutely true. It's very hard to picture being without fear, in actual fact, Mm. Um, because it means being without your issues. The idea that you could actually be a different person and not have these issues manifest in your life seems almost incomprehensible once you've chosen to accept that outside forces are responsible for these issues in the first place. Mm. So because it would mean that if the outside forces are not responsible, then you must be. Mm. Mm. And if you're responsible, then how the hell are you doing it? How can you be that individual creating that particular event? How can you be part of it? How can you be implicated in that event if to you it's so obvious that somebody else is doing it to you? That is the hardest thing. That's the most difficult thing to get your head around. So it's challenging to people's um, intellect, but it's probably also challenging because of their fears. It, it, It is both because, unfortunately... We, we talk now <clears throat> about emotional intellect. And it's probably a good term. Um, because intellectual intellect, if I can call it that, versus emotional intellect, right, uh, are very two very different streams of our being. And probably intellect is not really a good word to apply t- to emotional being. Uh, our intellectual being and our emotional being are very different streams of our expression. They belong together, nevertheless. One is not less or more than the other. They're all part of us and they need to be uh, used in the way that they're meant to be used mm. by us um, mentally and as, as uh, human beings. Um, but having a very strong and capable intellect to learn, to solve problems, to... Uh, understand higher mathematics or languages uh, to um, to be very conceptual perhaps um, does not necessarily give you emotional intelligence and in fact in most of the cases quite the opposite is true because often the intellect is used to explain things and justify um, these explanations uh, in a way that don't conform with emotional being and or intellect, if you want to call it that. Um, and so there's quite a contradiction because our beliefs are not logical. You can, in fact, um, uh, 
I'll let me preface this a little bit because our fears, when we acquire them, and this is probably something that we need to insert in our discussion, create certain beliefs. And these beliefs is what we hold about ourselves and the world. So when we have the belief that we're unacceptable, when we have the belief that we don't matter, when we have the belief that we're insignificant, when we believe that we have no worth or value or are uh, uh, unlovable, unwanted, and so on, right? Then these beliefs become a part of our own sense of being. It becomes who we are. Mm. It forms our inner identity, right? So we know ourselves by this. And then we desperately form behaviors, which we then... Uh, those behaviors become our way of dealing with the world and with others in order to overcome these fears. So that's why somebody who fears being rejected and being unacceptable and so on and might engage in pleasing behavior, it's a strategic behavior. It's a strategy to get others to like them. As we said earlier, it's a contrived behavior that's it's a, it's, it's a contrived behavior. Mm. But it is it has a particular purpose and that's why yes. we call it strategic so, um, so intellectuals have a habit of um, doing strategic thinking in order to justify a particular behavior that they have uh, and to justify and convince themselves that external forces are responsible for, um, for a particular negative situation they experience. And it's very easy to do. It's very easy to sit down and say, if he hadn't done this, then this wouldn't have happened. Without looking at yourself and looking at your own sense of beingness and how it might be responsible for that. I actually used to be the expert at that, I would say, what you're suggesting there. I, 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 I pretty much had a way of being able to be right by using my, my intellect and using my, my reasoning skills to be able to work out a way where I was never wrong because I couldn't be wrong. I, I used to be able to use my... Uh, my intellectual skills to convince others that I was actually right when I was probably wrong. Yeah, and you might be right in some instances, but most of the time you would be wrong when it comes to that. Yeah. It, it, it's, very, it's very easy to do that because you're looking externally. And again, we're going back to looking externally instead of internally. Yeah. Um, so, so the reverse of that, how does that look? If you, if, you want, if you want to be focused internally and get your sense of self-worth from internal, you have to strip back those beliefs through removing the fears well you first have to start uh, the primary step for you to take is to become aware mm -hmm. and becoming aware of yourself and your behaviors and what they what they um what they bring out in other people and therefore what events they create would be the first step the second step of that would be to take responsibility which means that since you're the one doing their behavior you must also be responsible for them mm. And if you're responsible for the behavior, then you, you're also responsible for the thoughts that come with that behavior, the feelings that drive that behavior, the, um, and then the beliefs that you hold that are the core reason for that behavior. And obviously all of the outcomes of that behavior that you experience physically, all of the things, the interactions that happen in your life, you have to of then course. take responsibility for all of that as of well. Of course. But, but it's not just a one-way thing. Just, just remember that... Um, that since most people, if not everybody, live with fears, that you will attract into your life those people who complement your fear. Mm -hmm. the, the, the most simple uh, ex 
example of this would be the attraction between a victim and an aggressor, which is the most common thing we can mm-hmm. we, we will see around ourselves. You, you need both to have a situation, I guess. Well, the aggressor needs the victim in order to be an aggressor if he believes that that's how he needs to be strategically in the world in order to survive. Mm. And the victim needs, a, needs an aggressor because them being a victim also is their strategic way in order to survive. They believe, they truly believe in their own powerlessness, helplessness, and that they cannot live without support, without the support of others and without um, being protected by others. Uh, the aggressor um, will believe that he's also a powerless person, but the only way that he can avoid being powerless and helpless is by being aggressive and dominating others. So they can't do this to him. So they can't make him powerless. So they can't make him helpless. Mm. And so he needs to dominate and control the situation in order to be uh, safe from his powerlessness and his helplessness. Because of his belief system. Because of his belief system. So if you look at it, the difference between the aggressor and the victim uh, is only in their behaviour, but not in what they believe about themselves. Yeah, so it's the same same fear and the same belief, but it, it manifests in different... Or they manifest it, or they use different strategic behaviour in order to overcome. In order them. to overcome, or in order to survive emotionally. Yeah, they have different strategic behaviour, and as you said, the the two will be attracted to one another because they almost have opposite behaviours. Well, they complement one they another. Complement behaviours. They yeah. have complementary behaviours. Mm. Unfortunately, um, this goes with a lot of things. This has to do with trust and distrust. This has to do with power and powerless. This has to do with. Um, acceptance and being unacceptable uh, the behaviors that others have um, will when they complement yours it becomes an attraction between two people and so relationships are formed on this basis mm. very easily and people will often um, express that they've now found their soulmate because this person is everything that they always wanted their partner to be there isn't there is an adage of course opposites attract and it's actually that they actually, if you go back to the core of their of their fears, they're probably like for like attracting like. But in terms, it's of often their, the case. In terms of their behaviours, they are they, actually opposites in in some in some ways. You could call them opposite. Yeah, a victim and an aggressor opposites. So yeah, opposites one, attract. one one person may um, uh, like a male may, for instance, as very very common, uh, express uh, as a strategic behaviour caring protective behavior mm-hmm. to a woman because that he's learned from his mother because she always acted like a victim and then the girl will have learned her victimness from her mother because she behaved that way mm-hmm. and so she's looking for someone to protect her and take care of her right um the um so there's a damsel in distress and a knight in shining armor that match up perfectly that match up perfectly but of course they can't satisfy each other Mm. because there are always trust issues involved in this. And um, he he will eventually feel that all his behavior is all about her and not about him. And eventually he will want her to be about him. And she's never going to be about him because it's always going to be about her (laughs) because she needs that protection and she needs to be looked after and she needs to be taken care of. And so it's never going to be about him. And so he gets sick of it. So then he starts to withdraw. Then she feels abandoned. 
and she reacts negatively that way, and sooner or later that relationship will fail. Mm. And so that's guess- because neither party are dealing with the issue that they um, feel unlovable and unacceptable to the opposite sex. So, so how, how do you start? You said that the important thing initially is to be aware. So people in that situation that you're just talking about, how do they become aware of the fact that the interactions they're having are, are fear-driven and their beliefs that they have about themselves uh, are negative when they've grown up from a child believing that's normal? Well, most of the time I would be, I mean, and I'm talking as a therapist um, and the experience that I have with people over the last 25 years, is that most of the time it's because an outside source starts to talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. It's, most of the time it's not they themselves independently coming to that conclusion. It's because of the, an outsider saying to them, you know what? You know, it is not what you think it is. Yeah, I've it, noticed this about you, and then it actually starts the cogs ticking in their in their own mind, thinking, "Oh, maybe that's right." How do you mean? I'm oh, in, sure. in the in the person that the, the person that we're talking about, who who might be one of your clients or something, someone will say to them, "I've noticed this about you, and it, it doesn't ring true for me," because they might have an interaction with someone that's not their partner. Yeah, and they don't get the same reaction, and it might start the cogs ticking in their mind, and they might think, "Well." Maybe there is maybe there is something to this, and then they seek some some help. I mean, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things. I think to try and find out what their fears are. I know a lot of people that that meditate and they try and understand. And that, I, I, yeah, I find actually, that actually, I I disagree with you if I can. Um, they don't actually want to know what their fears are because they don't know that it, that their issues are fear driven. Mm. What most most people want to do is escape the feelings and emotions and thoughts that their issues bring up in them. So they want to stop that. They Mm. find a way to stop that. To calm. Because they believe that the feeling, the emotion, the thought, the reaction, the response, and the event are the issue. Mm. That's true. And and, and so they're not looking for the cause or the reason or the deeper... um, the deeper driving forces inside of themselves. I wish they were, but they don't. Mm. So when people do come to me in a relationship, they're telling me I'm unhappy with my husband or I'm unhappy with my wife or, you know, we've got this and this going on, we're always fighting or, you know, the relationship is on the brink, what can I do? Or I want to leave, but, you know, I feel guilt. There could be a whole number of reasons why they come and see me which have nothing to do in their mind with fear. They just got an issue. They're not happy. So it's their emotions that are telling them Mm. that something is wrong. And this is something really worthy of being noted, is that your emotions and feelings are signposts. They're not reasons, they're not causes, but they're like flags that should tell you that there's something wrong. Yeah, similarly to what we talked about uh, in some of our early episodes about um, also physical symptoms can be seen in the same way but that's because you've ignored your feelings for a long time yeah so the 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 emotions and the feelings if they're negative points to the fact that there is fear-based belief systems going on in your life and that's that should be the point people start to try and make that identification of why why what is actually going on or a zigzag of feelings and by by that i mean when your feelings 
One moment you're feeling really worthless and insignificant, and the next moment you feel on top of the world, you feel amazing and fantastic, and then two weeks later you're back to being down the dumps again. Mm. Now, that sort of zigzag um, uh, emotional state is um, due to the fact that there is a... um, there's a moment in your life when you perceive everything is wrong and then you get someone or a situation or a circumstance to maybe validate you or uh, endorse or approve of you or uh, make you feel significant and special and you feel amazing again. And then you say, you know, I don't understand. You know, last week I was feeling amazing and today I feel horrible. Uh, and you, you don't realize you're constantly chasing something that when you get it, makes you feel good, and when you don't have it, it makes you feel bad. And those again, so, so it is very, feelings can therefore be also be misleading. Mm. Like um, if um, winning the lottery makes you really, really happy, then I can promise you your problem is, being un, is unhappiness. <laughs> you know, being unhappy is part of your problem because Money can't be the thing that makes you happy. Mm. But of course, if you're poor all of your life and you win a million dollars, you think all my problems are solved. But you're never asking the question or have asked the question why you're poor in the first place. Mm. And if you were to look in that, you would find you have beliefs around uh, fear of lack, fear of um, the absence of money, fear of being in debt, fear of being without, fear of loss can all be part of you. And it is not unusual for someone who, for instance, wins a million dollars and has been poor all of their life to be one year later without all that money again <laughs> and be poor again because they, their fear of, of poverty has actually made sure that that money nev- never stayed in their possession. Mm. Mm. So it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem, mm. no. It doesn't solve the problem. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? So, so therefore, something like meditation, you're saying a lot of people would be doing that to escape their emotions, to, to calm their mind. But then obviously the hustle and bustle of the world comes back as soon as they stop um, meditating. I mean, it might help them initially in that little time period and probably make them feel good about themselves for a little while into the day. And then by the end of the day, they feel like they did the end of the day before. You know, And that's what you're saying. There's this roller coaster. And if you're not getting anywhere, then there's, there's obviously an underlying issue there. Yeah, look, the, the, I have no, no issue with meditation as a process. I, I think it's a very good process yeah. and obviously practice it myself and still do occasionally. Um, the point to be made here, though, that, that it doesn't make your fears and insecurities go away. No. You know, the, a lot more has to happen for that to happen. Mm. You're, you're, as a Westerner doing meditation, you're not like a monk who entered the, the monastery at the age of six and was raised into a practice uh, for the rest of your life. You're not the same. Mm. And you, you, you can try and tell you that that's to yourself that's the case, but it's not. It just isn't. Um, you, your issues and problems don't dissolve um, from meditation, not what I understand. Look, it can, but I would say it would be the rare occasion that it does. Yes. You, as a as a as a person raised um, outside a, a, a monastic environment, you need to uh, take a different approach to your issues and problems, and you do need to look within because they do, but they do this from a very early age. Mm. 
they learn truths and understandings from a very early age that you have never even heard of, that they are not even part of your reality. Mm. They take responsibility without you even understanding what that kind of responsibility is all about. Mm. You, you do not see or recognize as uh, a Westerner or even any other culture um, is that your uh, sense of responsibility emotionally is really very limited and very constrained by your fears. Mm. Because most of the time you fear taking responsibility. Talk about fear of failure or fear of being guilty or fear of being blamed or fear of being held accountable. You know, those are all fears that avoid responsibility. Mm. Fear of having to meet the expectations of others. You know, fear of making the wrong decision. They're all fears that, that absolve you from responsibility. Mm. And so uh, responsibility is not something we have learned to take emotionally. And for a lot of people, it feels like blame. I mean, I've read um, some of the blogs on, um, on Facebook and uh, responded to some of them and uh, realized that, that people see that once they are told that they need to take 100% responsibility for their emotions and feelings, that they feel that they're now being blamed for having issues and problems. They seem to feel very threatened and, and very confronted by that thought that, uh, that they're somehow implicated in the things that they blame others for. It seems to create a massive reaction, mm. to be honest. Um, and it's a very defensive one. Yes, but, very, very defensive, yeah. But by doing that, you ignore several truths. And probably the main truth of that is that if you want to change and if you have a desire to change, then the only one that can change is you, is by you, by your own hand, by your own wish, by your own desire. And nobody can change your negative beliefs, your fears and insecurities, in other words, but yourself. Mm. It has to be you doing the changing. If the people that uh, your parents, for instance, were to die, you know, uh, leave this planet, so to speak, um, you would still be the same. Because the impression that they made on you, the negative part of that impression, would still be a part of your personality, of your being, of your belief system, of your sense of yourself. So in that respect, it changes nothing for you. Mm. So feeling blamed and feeling victimized by the idea of having to be responsible is kind of a weird way of looking at things because it, it doesn't deal with reality. Mm. The reality is you are the keeper of your beliefs. You are the keeper of your sense of self. And therefore, you're the only one that can change. To think otherwise is just ludicrous. You, 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 I suppose you could say that when you came into the world as a unique and, and different self, like we spoke of on our previous episode, that you interacted with your parents and as a result of their fears, you've inherited some. But it doesn't serve you as an adult to then blame that situation for the issues you're now having. What it, what, it, what it does serve you is saying, these are now my issues and problems and I have responsibility for them and I have responsibility for working through them and removing them and getting back to my authentic self. What you're saying is absolutely true. It, it's it, by blaming your parents, you're actually admitting and accepting that you're a powerless individual in this world and that, boy, uh, you're the biggest victim of all because you can't help being who you are. Well, the reality is that you can. Mm. Regardless of what psychology may tell you, 
regardless of what um, of 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 the processes that they use, and many of them do not work in the long term. Um, it is possible to change. It is possible to let go of your fears, and it is possible to enter life on a completely different platform and create a diff completely different reality in terms of your experiences of life and your relationships. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a therapist. I'm saying this because this is the feedback I get from my clients and yeah. everybody I work with. That's right. I've, I mean, I've been in that situation. I'm, I'm a client of yours as well. Um, and that's definitely the feedback I have is that it completely changes the way that you, as a result of working through identifying, first of all, as you said, making yourself aware. So working with Rudy is about becoming aware of what your fears and insecurities are and, and by coming backwards through events and working through behaviours back towards the core of what the fear is and then removing that from your life and then you actually interact with your, I've interacted with my children differently, with my wife differently, with the world differently. Like Everything is is definitely uh, different. It doesn't mean that your life becomes easy and everything's um, completely, uh, comes from, you know, comes easily to you and there's nothing to do because that would be a boring life a life of of no action it's it's not really about that it's just about being in control of what's going on and using your intent to drive your life in the directions that you choose for it to go you still have obstacles to overcome but you have the tools to be able to overcome them as you as you approach them yeah but there are less obstacles it feels like there are less obstacles yes. particularly on a personal relationship level yes definitely the, the the moment that you let go of a fear the absence of that fear changes your perception your emotions your feelings your reactions your responses your behavior you don't no longer need to be strategic in respect to that particular fear mm -hmm. because there's no use for it there's no need for it and therefore you don't attract the complementary um, let's say, response from the world to your fear. Mm. And so your interaction with the world effectively changes and so your world changes. It, is, it, is, it sounds all very theoretical, but it is a fact. As far as I'm concerned, in 25 years working with, I can't even mention how many people I've worked with, um, everyone reports change. And not just they report change, it's their friends that report change there their family reports that they have changed, mm -hmm. their children report that they have changed. At, at the moment, I've got someone coming to me, a young boy, um, um, he's 17, and the only reason he comes to see me and doesn't want to see anybody else because he's seen his father change. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to see me. I, I would even go further than that in, in that um, as a result of me changing, my children have changed, my young children have changed um, because obviously they're picking up as we spoke earlier, um, they're picking up on my fears and insecurities and reacting to that as young children. And as I'm changing, they're, they're obviously changing in reaction to that as well. And, and if I'm able to let them express themselves more spontaneously, then they're able to do that as well as a result. So I found a really um, huge impact on our family. My wife and I have both seen Rudy, but also in, in our children actually um, having almost a flow-on effect from the changes that we've made in ourselves. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Just as it is inevitable when your parents have fears that you get those fears. Yeah. <laughs> it's inevitable in both directions, do you mm. understand? Mm. Um, you, you, as parents, you're not, you cannot avoid to, um, to pass those fears and insecurities. Your own life, um, your own childhood life, 
onto your children. It's it's just it's just impossible if you are not even aware of it. Uh, and most people are not. Most people have no realization, no awareness of what impact they have on others. And it seems to be okay when you're a young person, when you're not married, and when you don't have children. But it becomes a um, it becomes a very negative experience when you're actually passing on your fears and insecurities to your children with the inevitable consequence that they will pass it on to their children. And so you get a generational um, expression of issues. And I've actually tracked it in certain families that it goes on and on from generation to generation, both sideways, forward and back. Um, and it, it's... it's um, it's not recognized. It's not really deemed to be important. I mean, we, we trace physical genetics mm. and we think that's very important. But let me tell you that emotional genetics, if I can call them that, are even more important because the, um, our, our genetic state and being is influenced by how we are emotionally. Well, so they I, call that epigenetics now. Where exactly. You, you, you basically, you have genes, but whether they're... You know, you have several different blueprints within your body for every different part of your body, and the way that it, that blueprint is expressed is as a result of your emotional state. So, therefore, your fears and insecurities have a direct result in the expression of your physical genetics. Exactly. And therefore, you you find that certain things run in families, even though they're not specifically physically genetic, because the fears and insecurities that run in that family activate the genetics in the same way in each subsequent generation. And if you, if, if you were to tr trace a disease through a family and then trace the, epi the, the um, emotional genetics, if you like, in that family, uh, you would find patterns yes. that would reflect the nature of that disease because the body and the mind are connected for another time to talk about. Yeah. But, but again, it, there are connections there that are very specific mm. and, and can be... Um, it can be proven, if you like, if you were to trace it. Mm. We might need to wrap it up soon, but I just wanted to say that, um, you know, as a result of doing the work that we've done, I have been able to express myself more spontaneously, but also I find that I trust my spontaneous impulses that actually have some trust in myself uh, and the way that I can, ex I can feel that I need to do something or that I can feel that I need to say something and trust that that's the right thing to do rather than second-guessing, having a little voice in your head saying, oh, I don't know if that's the right thing to say. And I think that's the practical side of, of what we've been talking about. Yeah, it's, it, it, if I can just say, it, it is more than practical um, because practical means that, for me anyway, my perception is that to do something in a practical way is better than doing it in another way that is not so practical. What you're talking about is fundamental to our beingness. It is, it is like, it is beyond practical. It is how it has to be. <laughs> do, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It is where the most benefit of consciousness will be achieved. It's where our greatest power lies. It's where uh, we will evolve at a greater pace. Once we, once we live life without fear, we will evolve at a pace that we can't even imagine right now. Because fear, I like to, it's like driving a car with the brakes permanently on. <laughs> Pull the handbrake on and then push the accelerator. And yeah, yeah. Well, we've got your head, you've got your foot on the brake and the foot to the accelerator at the same time. <laughs> and, and you're wondering why the car is getting hot and blowing up and causing problems while, while you don't realize you're doing it. 
You know, it's so so getting the foot of the brake uh, allows us to evolve at a much faster pace. And since we do not know how we can evolve yet, we don't know the extent to which we can evolve. And I don't think there is a limit on it, right? It is it is our next journey. It is the next journey of consciousness and humanity. But we need to be without fear. With with fear, it will never happen. Mm. In fact, the, the world is probably currently in its most fearful state than it's ever been. That's why we are experiencing such extremes in everything, in human behavior, in the weather, in everything. Mm. Everything is becoming extreme because of it, because it's reaching a crisis point. Mm. Mm. All right, well, well, we'll definitely leave it there, but thank you very much again for your wise words, Rudy, and we'll see you on the next show. A pleasure to be here. <laughs>